Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth and I'm joined by... Mark Ellen. And also by... Matt Hall. Now, Mark, back from his holidays, uh, you... Attractively tanned. Attractively tanned. Actually, not attractively tanned. <laughs> it weed with rain. Can I just say, anybody listening who went to Northern uh, Europe or the Channel Islands would have spent the entire time under an umbrella. Yes. In a bad way. Do you know what happened with the podcast while you were away? Probably, I don't know what was the one. There was one, wasn't there? There, were, there were a few podcasts. There was right, there a were. number. There okay. were a number of podcasts. Good. And do you know what happened? Previously, we've, we barely scratched the top 40 on the iTunes. I can see where this is going. Music <laughs> podcast. What you're about to tell me is this is my last appearance. <laughs> <laughs> I can deal with it, Dave. I'm a professional. I've risen above it already. You go away. I was never below it, actually. <laughs> Ask me how high we got in the iTunes music podcast. Well, at one stage we were in the, just uh, nudged the top 20, didn't we? We were 19 or something. We, oh. got to, we got to number four, Mark. Really? We got to number four. Who was we above us? We did. Who were the blackguards and think, scandals and think, cads that were above us? I think all the people above us were people generously subsidised by a government tax. <laughs> oh, right. Broadcasting. Heavily you know, advertised. Russell Brand and, you know, those or, kind of people. Are who's he? Those all right. Or drug monkeys from the Ministry of Sound. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Anyway. Murder friends. Snip. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to number four. And, uh, and we want to get to number one, don't we, Matt? Yeah. Because actually this morning, even a couple of weeks later, we're still at number 14 or something like that. So thank you very much for your uh, Well, for how your wonderful that people there. have, uh, yes, listened to it and, and uh, seem to be enthusiastic about can it. Can I Terrific. particularly say, can I, I hope that, I think it's Tony, Tony in West Timor, who got in touch with me this morning because he was having trouble. West he was, Timor? He was having trouble getting hold of the podcast reliably in West Timor. So I, I emailed him and we got it sorted out. Is that, that, is that in England? Uh, <laughs> it sounds like Lake District, it's, but it's probably somewhere more exotic. It's isn't? like East Wittering, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. North Kensington, East so Timor. East Timor. No, I think no, it's West, 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 is West Timor adjacent to East Timor. Well, I think we'll, we'll look forward to hearing from okay. him as to where it is. And no, seriously, if we've got any podcast listeners who are in particularly far flung outposts of 
particularly of what we used to call the Empire. I think we want to hear from them, don't we? We, certainly do. we like to think that there are, there are listeners out there wearing solar topes, you know, <laughs> yeah. under, a, under a palm tree, possibly with a punker while I'm going back yeah. and forth with a large leaf. Listening to the Listening to the podcast while enjoying a sunbound. Yes, sh- <laughs> shouting out the, the mantra, it's time for Tiffy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like something out of a, it ain't half hot club, is what we should do for this show. I think we've got strong expat appeal, yeah. don't you think? Anyway, so uh, on this week's podcast, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna risk having a menu of content in case we don't get around to it. You know, we'll just uh, we'll just see how we're how the moment. What's been happening? Come on, I've been away. Um, so I really genuinely don't know. I'm I'm out of touch today with both pop and rock. <laughs> Well, we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, actually. I'm taking a sideways look at the rock scene and beyond. Do you remember that? When David and I once on the old grey whistle test, and they used to say in Radio Times every week, said, Mark Allen and David Hepworth take a sideways look at the rock scene and beyond. I think the end beyond. And we once started just... the programme actually looking sideways. <laughs> and it was live, so they couldn't do very much about it because they had one little thing in your ear going, What are you doing? We're looking sideways at that. Oh, carry on, David. I think yeah. they <laughs> Oh, no, I'm not going to go into that. We, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, I think, about uh, the uh, the reissue of the live recording of Metal Machine Music, weren't we? Uh-huh. Uh, which led us to the, the subject of the unlistenable album. Oh, yeah, I think we've is... run a thing about it in the magazine. Oh, I, I, I discovered that record lying around. It, 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 record, it was recorded by an experimental... Well, it's a German sort of 14-piece or, you know... But they're avant-garde orchestra. Avant-garde. Right? Playing what is effectively an avant-garde record already... So it's avant-garde to the power of two. So that's bad in itself, isn't it? So Metal Machine Music first came out in 1975. And I was working in the HMV shop in, uh, on Oxford Street. And uh, I think we only played it once. <laughs> and that was at five to eight on Thursday night. When you were trying to get people out of the shop. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that is correct. Late night shopping, there were always a few people a bit slow to leave because you wanted to get to the pub. So a little bit of music that might encourage them out. Metal machine music served that turn. And I didn't listen to it again for 32 years. Uh, and in 32 years, I got used to a lot of things. You know, I was thinking about this. I got but used, you to, haven't, I got used yeah. to footballers wearing gloves. You know, got used to paying for bottled water. Postman smoke, in shorts. Postman in shorts. Yeah. Can't smoke in pubs. Yeah. All that kind of thing. But metal machine music remained as resistant to, you know, <laughs> to love. It's charmed. <laughs> no, it is kind yeah. of remarkable, isn't it? Because normally, you know, you do get used to things that you never, you know, that you used to hear years ago and you, you couldn't deal with them then, but you get used to them over a period of time. But that one, if anything, it's kind of harder to love. Does everybody remember what it was? It's a Lou Reed uh, record, wasn't it? Just tell me what to remind them. Well, okay, well, most experimental, wasn't well, it? Well, he, he used to, he leaned his guitars against his amps in his, in his drone, apartment wasn't it? Yeah. and just recorded the kind of feedback, really, you know, and then and he had three guitars, three amps, and so they all started at various different times and they overlapped and so forth. It's, it's kind of got features of music, but it's, it's impossible to love. But that led me to a few other things, actually. Shouldn't there be a piece in Word magazine called The Party's Over? And it's just records that you can play clear when, a room. when you want to clear the house, you know. That's a blooming good well, It's not I've a got, bad idea. I'd send a Neubauer and we'll send anybody packing, even, well, even hardcore fans. I was will, just will thinking break into about, a run. Yeah, and, and also uh, the oeuvre the of Test Department, if anyone remembers them. Oh, God, the yeah, I do. See, coming right. Yeah, I hear clanging metal. Yeah. With, with Welsh choirs on top. Oh, right, yes. God, that's. Weird. Coming right up to date, as they, uh, as they say on the radio, um, Joanna Newsom. Was she only gone? I that? think she would do the same thing. No, I think Joanna Newsom would clear a room. Oh, really? The average room. If you wanted to clear the average pub, 
at 11 o'clock. Joanna Newsom Ripper. She's a bit hard to take, Mark. Be honest. Well, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what people have to say about that. But my uh, 24-year-old son, whose other main interest is grime and hip-hop, has fallen in love with this girl. And has paid a lot of money to go and see her, I think, at the Royal Albert Hall in about a month's time. So she's certainly okay. cast her spell. Oh, uh, OK. But I people thought... who are other, otherwise normally listening to Dizzy Rascal. So, you know. See, these, I'm not, I've done my own little list of records that if you played them to normal people, i.e. not rock critics, OK, would clear the room. Track Mass Replica by Captain Beefheart. Yeah. Would clear it. It would, that's absolutely true. It just uh, But the good thing is that the only people left are people just like us, really, who would be no, sitting there. I don't about, I'd, I'd, oh, be, you'd be, I'd oh, be heading right. for the hills. Well, yeah. you'd be me yeah. and Dave and a few people listening talking about the great uh, antennae Jimmy Stevens. But you and, see, uh, there are still people coming along nowadays who read about Captain Beefheart and they, they, you know, they, they've read about Astral Weeks. And they've gone and bought that and thought, this is wonderful. Yeah, lovely. Similarly, they read about Trapmas Replica and they go and buy it and they go, this is not lovely. This is impossible to love. You know, impossible to take in its entirety. I'm going to throw another one at you. I'm going to be controversial cool. here. John Coltrane, A Love Soup. I was just about to say. Oh, great record. Well, we... Four parts, in four parts, three of which are beautiful. Oh? One of which sounds like a cat with its... Uh, Tail caught in a knackers in a vice. Just say it. So the three, three that are beautiful. I, well, I think. Yeah, I think start beautiful. Yeah, it's it's exactly first, first, second, jazz. and fourth bit. I think. Okay, third okay. bit. Well, I don't, right. I don't agree. Okay, with that. I'm going to throw another one in. The slits cut. Oh uh, right, yeah. There's a, yeah. Real people can't listen. To that. It's hard work. It's terrible. There's a track about shoplifting, isn't there? I remember. Very hard work. Yeah. I'm going to throw in another one recently. And I tried this, and I read loads of things about this group, act, performers, whatever. And I'm, I'm a pretty broad-minded kind of guy. I know I don't have that reputation, but I am. And I went and bought a record by... Bought, mark you, at some cost, a record by Boards of Canada. Uh, which Boards one? of Canada. <laughs> which, how do I know? It's just oh, Boards God, of Canada. That, well, I don't know the whole of that oeuvre, but I do have one of those. And I played it, and I just thought... How irritating is this noise? Okay, was it the one with the rather fine title, or pretentious if you like, Music Has the Right to Children? Oh, I don't oh, believe it had that. God, that means there's going to be more albums, isn't probably. it? Probably. I think it was probably just called yeah. Two Sides of the Board of, Can- right. of Canada or something. But they're not kind of, I have no great expectation of this group, I don't really know who they are, but it's more the it's epic kind of electronic So I remember reading a thing on Rocking Vicar that Danny Baker had posted, which was a eulogy about the mighty Gift from a Flower to a Garden by Donovan. The Donovan. Now, I tell you what, the readers of Rocking Vicar took to the streets to protest. Do you remember? They went out and they paid hard-earned cash for it. They, they didn't like it. They thought it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> they kept looking for Danny and they were angry some of these guys <laughs> knocking lumps out of the furniture that's what we ought to do many of them clutching receipts <laughs> and demanding recompense and that's not bad because I'd encouraged him much because I, I, I'm a huge fan of that record and I went back and had another three it is a little bit precious a little bit a little bit oh, gauche it's simple the tinker and the crab <laughs> that ridiculous the starship on the beach you know <laughs> Starship, starfish, sorry, starship would have been better. Yeah, oh, it's hard work. I'd like, know, to, I'd like to add, going back to the jazz, uh, I'd like to add uh, Sonny Rollins, I think it's called Black Power, an right. album, which is a jazz version of Metal Music Machine with added saxophones. Oh, obviously. dear God. And in, in fact, to the extent that it starts on side one, it goes all the way through side one. You think, thank God for that. You turn it over, there's part two. There's part two oh. waiting for you. 
Oh, well, lots of those people. There's certain people, I think, that the intellectual or academic interest in them far outweighs the actual music. And uh, I think Roland Kirk's another. Yeah. I remember buying Roland Kirk's records and telling people, hey, but listen, he's great. I mean, he can play two saxophones at once. And he's blind. He's blind. blind. I think he can play three instruments at once. He can play a nose flute. Jam all kinds of things. Yeah. (laughs) And then when he doesn't do it, because he's absolutely frightful. And Sun Ra is the other one. Oh, Sun Ra. Ra. You interviewed. Oh, I interviewed him in about 1980. He came to a venue called The Venue. In fact, in in Victoria, in London, and uh, with his orchestra, was space the place, Mark? Space. And I thought this would be a hilarious piece. I did it for radio. I was making a little documentary for radio. One, I thought it'd be really fun. I'd sold it to the, the lovely old guy who was a producer called uh, Pete Ritzimo. Didn't know what the hell was going on. He said, "Oh yeah, go off and do it. I'm having a meat pie." You know, I said, but trust me, Pete. It'll be fun. He came back and he really gave me the rolled eye. He, couldn't believe, he gave me the hairy eyeball, the thousand yard stare. He said, "This is gibberish. This man appears to think he's from Saturn." I said, "But Pete, that's the whole point. He's Sunra. He's, so, he's from another planet. No, he's not, Mark. He's not he's from another from planet. Chicago. From Chicago. You've been." Hoodwinked. They did put it out at the end, but someone abridged. I want to know about this because I, you know, I'm genuine. I've got, I've got his. I've got genuinely. I'm curious. I'm curious about everybody. Genuinely, musically, anybody who's you know written about a lot, or you know, over a period of time, not just a flash in the pan. I'm genuinely interested. And so Sunrise made millions. Of well, I've got three Sunrise records that are hand pressed and hand uh, hand printed, if you like, the, the, the actual sleeves. I'll bring them in one day. They're amazing. Are handwritten is the word I'm looking for. But he for. made hundreds, didn't he? Yeah, he made absolutely hundreds. Is there yeah. one that you would recommend? You know, me, I'm Joe Soap, off the street, I'm, I'm interested in Sun Ra. Is the one that you would give me without a government health warning saying, you know, clear the house? No, I don't think I would work. because, you know, you've got to be in the mood for Sun Ra. I mean, there's no way you can come back after a, a hard day in the office and want to take the weight off your sling bags. <laughs> <laughs> You know, open, open a can of, of Budweiser and put on, you know, the orchestra in full flight because it's just it's going to make a day worse, actually. It'll, it'll only work, I think, at four in the morning. Couple of old mates from college, bottle of single mould. As, as a very broad-minded friend of mine once said, if you're in the mood for the sound of somebody herding a, uh, a group of angry geese down, <laughs> down a road, then you'll be in the mood for sunrise. <laughs> This is oh. good. There's, there's a pattern developing here because everything you were talking about was the, 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 the cat with the knackers in a vice. I mean, it's, it's, you, can, it, you can only review albums saying what animal is <laughs> paid they resemble. And this what mood they're what in. Mood they're in. Yeah. I'm great. interested in this. I think it's going to be. Angry geese hood. I think this is going to be a thread on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk, actually. The great unlistenable. Yeah. I think we, we ought to get top, top 20, didn't we? Out of the, well, out I'll of bring the them in. You can put a bit up. That's a good point. We can put a bit up and people can actually Reg- hear the mighty sunrise. <laughs> That in might, flight. That, that might the be most, too much information. Yeah, it might be, actually. <laughs> the most unlistenable records. You know, because it's not just the crap ones, is it? You know, because when they have when they have lists of crap records, they always have having fun with Elvis on stage, you know, where he just cracks jokes. But oh, that's yeah. not unlistenable, is it? I mean, no, it's quite it's funny. It's stupid, but, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, whereas the things that actually just torture you, I'm, I'm quite interested in, in those. Anyway, I sent you. I sent you a link last. Another way is turning into a Word magazine features meeting. Really, yeah. that, that people are listening in. And they're all writing furiously on bits of paper ideas that you'll read about. Well, this in the seriously, seriously, anything, we, God, God, anything we do on here, you can it's follow good. up on the website yeah. wordmagazine.co.uk or on the Facebook Word Magazine podcast group. That's we, the Matt? one. Which, you, which all you have to do is go on Facebook and just look up. What do you look up? Search for Matt Hall. Search for David Hepworth. Follow our group. Yeah. And, is uh, there an age limit to Facebook? I, say, I think I'm, too, I'm over fifty no, now. No. Probably they won't let me in. It's fine. Will there be somebody at the door of Facebook? Say, I'm sorry, <laughs> silver-haired old fool. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to turn on your heel and Not leg it. I tried to. I tried to uh, request my daughter, my eldest daughter, to be my friend 
and she took me aside the other day and refused. <laughs> That's my daughter. It's my own flesh and blood. She said, "I can't let you be my friend on Facebook. I'll never hold my head up in public." All the mates got me as a. a their friend, you know, but not her. Anyway, that's right. It's, it's, it's that's the modern world. It's the modern world, isn't it? It's a piece of that. They don't mind being my friend on on Earth, you know. Yeah, in the real world, not in cyberspace. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. The thing I sent you a link to, Mark, last night was uh, oh, the Beatles was a Beatles thing called uh, Now. I think we're going to play people a little bit this. This is a toot and a snore from 74. Lucille! Goodbye! Come back where you belong! Lucille! Come back where you belong! Tell everybody what they're listening to there. Well, I listened to a bit of that. I thought, actually, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a Beatles uh, bootleg connoisseur, actually. I, I went up to the attic uh, this morning to, to bring a couple in, which I thought would make uh, great podcast material, talking about an artefact. <laughs> Always works on the radio. But they are rather sweet. I'm going to show them to you in a moment, and we'll describe them. But um, I've got 50, yeah, I've got 52 uh, vinyl bootlegs of the Beatles, uh, which I obviously stopped buying uh, about uh, vinyl bootlegs, or, or Beatles bootlegs, really, about 10, 10 years ago, because there just aren't any more. And also because anthology came along, and quite a lot of that stuff then subsequently appeared on anthology. So, you know, when I'd gone out in, you know, 1978 and paid £12 for, um, you know, the Decagon sessions, then playing Sheik of Araby and Three Cool Cats, to find it turn up on... On uh, anthology it was was not a good day for me. Actually, it was it calling? Yeah, it was. It was a bad day. It, it affected, it affected my stocks. <laughs> stocks were completely dashed. Your retirement <laughs> record collection was rendered worthless overnight. Your pension went out. But the window. No, the thing we've just listened to exactly a toot and a snore, which I never heard in '74, was uh, uh, allegedly, well, it certainly is um, a recording made in, in Los Angeles. Um, at the time when Lennon was recording a solo album called Rock and Roll, produced so by Phil Spector. Yeah. And, uh, and you can tell that because there's three attempts to sing the song um, uh, Stand By Me, which, of course, he does on that record, uh, which fantastically well, the old Benny King song. But uh, significantly, the people involved are Ringo Starr, Keith Moon, and I think Klaus Vorman. And Paul McCartney is there and arrives in the studio, doesn't he, with uh, Linda, his uh, wife or girlfriend. Harry wife. Nielsen. Harry yeah, Nielsen's there as well, yeah. exactly. And McCartney and Leonard have not been in the same room for, for a long time. There's a little description here on the website uh, about what it was like, which I think was absolutely brilliant. He said, um, uh, Sanford, the guy who's uh, describing it, paints the scene very vividly. As the room froze when Paul McCartney walked in, remained perfectly silent until John Lennon said, Valiant Paul McCartney, I presume. That's a hilarious Scouse uh, accent there, Dave. And Paul responded, Sir Jasper Lennon. Uh, which was a character uh, Lennon played during an early TV appearance skit. He says, Sir Jasper Lennon, I presume. And you can imagine that that must have been... Nobody dared speak, because obviously you don't want to be the one to welcome Paul McCartney if John Lennon's going to turn around and say, oh, you, slick hook. Yeah, yeah you, know, you owe me money or whatever. But anyway, they record this stuff which I'd never heard before, and I thought it was fantastic, actually. Fantastically interesting. It's not very good, but that's not the point. The point is that Harry Nilsson, you know, Lennon, McCartney, Ringo, whatever... Um, Glass Foreman are all, all in, a, in, a, in a room recording together. 
taking copious amounts of drugs. And, and there's clearly sense. a lot of drugs going on because I've heard Leonard interviews. Uh, I've had got bootlegs of those in the. Uh, God, I'm sad. <laughs> Sorry, I understand radio interviews he did in the 70s, but he's obviously very, very, very stoned, and it's just, just absolute gibberish, really. So, so what have you but, brought uh, with you? Oh, I bought in a couple just because I really like them because I think they're such beautiful artifacts. Um, the first is uh, well, it's just this is how sophisticated. Beatles bootlegs got. This is a picture disc. So when's this? this when was, uh, I got this at about 78, 80, I think. It's called the Beatles Broadcasts. And it is a picture disc. There it is. Hippie Hippie Shake, Until There Was You, Matchbox, uh, Where Pop did you Go use, The Beatles, where did you uh, use to buy Soldier them? of Love, which is an old Arthur Alexander. Oh, you used to buy them in a bootleg shop in uh, the Portobello Road. It's probably still there. But this is one of my absolute favourites. What, what is it called outside? Did it say the bootleg shop? I don't think it was. No, no, you used to go in, I, no, I, I, I wouldn't want to tell you what it was called because I'm sure they're still telling the selling bootlegs. But you used to go in there. And you go in, uh, have you got any, um, any Beatles stuff? And they give you the old, tap the old nose with a little bit of a cheery wink, a conspiratorial wink. And then they would reach, I'm sure lots of people listening will remember this, they would then reach down and a milk crate yes. would be dragged out yes. from under the counter. And in it would be, uh, rather like this, very, very, uh, you know, thumbed and dog-eared uh, old sleeves of records. Massively overpriced. Of course, you couldn't listen to them. No. Because it was embarrassing. You could. You could say, I want to hear this and check the quality. But that was considered infradig and non, yeah, non yeah. you. You know, you had to buy it on trust, you know. But this one here I absolutely love. Uh, it, this is a replica. Exactly, it's called the Black Album. It's an exact replica of the Beatles' White Album, which I'm holding up here. It's a double album with the word The Beatles stamped embossed. out of it. Embossed. And it has a little serial number. Oh, Inside are the four pictures of the Beatles. Uh, and on the left here is the track list of all these things, which they also play, which never finished up. But Stand By Me is on it. Hi-Ho is silver. Hari Krishna is just an improvisation by uh, John Lennon. Um, watching Rainbows. I mean, it, it, the original Mean Mr. Mustard, which has the middle age. All that sort of stuff that real bores like me like. But it's a, it's a double album. But even more excitingly, if I can find it, somewhere in this sleeve is, here it is, it's the poster. I don't know if you oh. remember that the, the white album came with... A fantastic oh, wall poster. poster. No, no, no. It's a bootleg poster. They did a different one. They've done their own <laughs> oh, poster look at that. with lovely drawings by John and Yoko. And here it is with fantastic Thanks. transcriptions of interviews on the back. Doesn't and it's like whole labor. Yeah, it must have taken somebody. I'm holding a poster here that is about a yard high by a foot and a half. And it's a complete, exactly the same. It's a pastiche with a white album poster. But it's, it's completely different. Doesn't it make you think? I mean, they used to argue that this was, you know, not so much killing the record business, but the theft of copyright and all that kind of thing, you know, that this was absolutely terrible. But you look at that there and you think, who had the most love for music? The person who did that or the bloody lawyer who pursued them? Oh, yeah, and, and, and also obviously the person who bought it, you know. I mean, I the, mean did that stop you ever buying no, no, because, I mean, no, not at all. And, and obviously, my, my contention, and I'm sure most people would agree, um, uh, is that, um, you know, uh, uh, this is for completists. Yes. This is for the hardcore. There are certain people, the Dead's the best example. Anyone who's been to see the, uh, the Grateful Dead or went to see the Grateful Dead in concert would know that at the back of the arena, where the sound was best, they used to cordon off this little area. And it was full of people who were encouraged, actively encouraged, to bring along the most sophisticated recording equipment. And people they with great big masts and these yeah. bloody great sort of, you know, those microphones with those kind of baffles around them to keep the, the, the wind and atmosphere uh, effects out of them. And they would, uh, you know, record very high quality uh, cassettes, actually, it was nearly all cassettes in those days. And, uh, and hard, you know, sell them possibly, but, you know, just, just copy them. Yeah, I don't think and anybody got, why did they got rich matter? out of it. Did it? Why did it matter? I mean, there was a guy I, I knew who used to go and see every Bob Dylan concert and he used to 
go in and record it at Wembley Arena, right, wherever he was playing. And he would go in with three people, and they all had bits of equipment hidden up their sleeves. A bit like Day of the Jackal, the Edward Fox character, who eventually rebuilds a, a telescopic rifle. And they would go into the loos or whatever, and then and from all this equipment, they would build some fantastically complicated bit of recording stuff that wouldn't be stuck underneath somebody's uh, anorak and hood. And, so, uh, you know, and what, you know, what's to stop them? So this is 30 years ago. Rock groups used to argue, you cannot do this because you're stealing my copyright. You are representing me in a way I don't wish to be represented. And this is, this is going to be, do appalling damage to my reputation. In the year 2007, I know Crowd and House are doing this, and loads of other groups are doing it as well. They're going on tour. You will be able to buy a soundboard recording of the performance that you went to see. Well, as you leave the venue. Not as you leave the venue, but you get it a couple of days later. You'll pay for it at the venue, they'll send it to you afterwards. You know, the very thing, if they'd offered that 30 years ago, everybody would have said, fine, I don't need to record it myself. I don't want to do this. Exactly. Because you know? that yeah. was the holy grail of the bootleg, wasn't it? The set, it was the one that, that, they, that came through the desk. It came through the desk. Oh, if, it was, you yeah. knew, if you could somehow, if you knew the guy on the desk, oh, yeah. you know, that was a totally different oh, that, thing. That was the worst thing about buying bootlegs, is you didn't know it was going to be desk or audio. Oh. And I've got audio, I've got Dylan of Blackbush, which is a classic. It's all you are talking about. And then you hear something, Jeff! Jeff, what's happening to Party 7? Yeah. <laughs> and then you hear someone go, the chance they are changing. <laughs> nah. You know, in the distance, somewhere you can hear Dylan. It's appalling. Yes. And I paid about 15 quid for it. <laughs> I used to buy, I never bought Bob Dylan so bootlegs or Beatles bootlegs. I used to buy Little Feet bootlegs. Oh, well, that was my particular poison. And, and you used to get them from a small shop which was just off Carnaby Street in London's swinging West End. Tiny little record shop. And if you went in there and there was nobody... You had to wait until there was nobody else in this tiny place before you said to the guy, Are you got any little feet live? Yeah. And he would open... Got any special? He would yeah. open a curtain behind him. You know, <laughs> the kind of thing you'd expect to, to you know, disclose a lavatory or something. That's right. And he would have a box in there of, uh, you know, these... They're all shrunk-wrapped. That's right, yeah. And, yeah. and what was the name of the label? They used to call it Trademark of Quality, didn't they? They used to... That was one of the... They actually had brand names. Oh, well, they all had their own label. bootleg. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, and I bought a load of Little Feet ones of declining quality, because that's tended to happen. <laughs> if you had one successful bootleg, they'd put another one out and it wasn't as good. The best one was uh, called... Supposedly called electric lycanthrope. Oh yes, so somebody had mistyped yeah. it, and so it was electric lycanthrope. <laughs> That's right. And uh, and then the next one was called beak positive, no head, no backstage pass. Oh, we just thought this was so cool. It is very cool. In those days, you know. Talk before... about declining quality. There is a very famous Sex Pistols one recorded on a cassette machine with a battery. You know, that's why the battery starts to run out. <laughs> <laughs> the Sex Pistols goes faster and faster and faster. You know, <laughs> that sort of noise. Of course, it's... you were saying, Matt, when you started buying. Yeah, well, when I started buying. Because you're a relatively youngster. <clears throat> slightly, slightly more green. Um, they, they, they were on cassette. So when are we talking oh, yeah, about So yeah. this is kind of like uh, early... I mean, the, the first one I can remember that I had was a, a Joy Division at the ICA. Right. Uh, and that was terrible. Um, but then the ones that... The two that really stand out were um, a cassette of um, Echo and the Bunnymen at Glastonbury when they did a kind of whole cover set. They took a year off and they, and they came back to Glastonbury and they did a... They did, um, it's all over now, baby blue, and they did the whole the whole set was was covers. And funnily enough, the other one that I remember that was, was how was that recorded? Though? That was that must have I can see a lot of opportunity for incidental yeah, well, sound here. Yeah, but it was really it was quite it was you know it was a well, it was on a cassette, so yeah. you know. Um, 
but the other one that was really good as well was Costello, funnily enough, at Glastonbury as well. I think that, that might have been the following year when he did the solo set and then went into Abba's Knowing Me, Knowing You and halfway through, the curtains oh, flew yes. back and the attractions were there and it was like, that was fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, really good, really good. Um, but yeah, but, but the vinyl thing didn't really... And so now... It's yeah. not even CDs, is no, it? No, it's, it's MP3. It's on the internet. It's just sent to you, isn't it? Now, I have to say, I was after, the other night, I was saying to Mark, I needed a recording of um, Bob Dylan's current on-stage introduction. Yeah, which Where is we wonderful. have a voiceover yeah. of somebody going, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the voice of a generation, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, folk prophet. Yeah, yeah. Really. And we just need a recording. Half an hour later, you sent me one. Yeah. Where did you get it from? Oh, well, that's one of my, um, one of my contacts, Dave. Uh, you know, I <laughs> so what do you do? Obviously, I uh, have a great uh, network of uh, <laughs> friends. And, uh, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, I, when we went to see Dylan play uh, Brixton Academy about what it was, two or three years ago, and he played uh, London Calling by The Clash. And uh, I'm ashamed to say, when I got to work the next day, a mate of mine who lives uh, in the same postal district as work back <laughs> had already posted the MP3 file on a CD through the door. <laughs> and I got to work and it was already there. I got up and said to the office, you won't believe this. Dylan played a clash number. And people said, no, we don't. Said, well, I'll tell you what, here it is. I can believe it. And he'd actually recorded it, run it off, and just knew I'd want a copy. So I dropped it through. It is amazing. It's the speed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, can, I get the trouble that used to be involved does it in just, getting a bootleg. Does oh, it yeah. compared to it now? Does it detract from the pleasure that you get from the piece of music the fact that you ha- you don't know, you no longer have to go kind of no I quite like it because, in Carnaby Street no because they sound better and they sound better and actually actually with a bootleg most of the time you don't want to sit down and listen to it all you just want to know what it's like you want to know what it tells you about the incident or, or the recording session or they you know I can imagine your Elvis Costello Glastonbury knowing me knowing you is perfect because it adds a little jigsaw piece to the puzzle, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, that's if, true. I you mean, don't so, want to sit there and listen to an hour of it. No, it's probably three files. Just when did you last, what I When did you last get your fifty-four Beatles records down from the loft? Not often, actually. I have to say, because obviously I've transferred some of those to you know to, to, to the machine and put them on my iPod. Right, stuff, right, you know. right. But but what I miss, obviously, is, is like this. You know, this this wonderful picture disc that somebody's bothered to make. You know, of um, you know this labour of love. That's what I really missed was the idea of this little artefact that you could sit there and read the sleeve. And you know, I used to absolutely love that. That's fantastic. And also the other thing about them they are so bizarre bootleggers. Things that get bootlegged. I mean, I'm sure I've told this before, Dave. But when I got married, it was 25 years ago. My wife and I went on a honeymoon, and uh, I, I thought I knew my wife pretty well. We've been together many years, and she has even more bootlegs than me. And we're driving through uh, Normandy, you know, on our way to flag down a pan of chocolat. And she slaps into the <laughs> desk of our, uh, our battered old Renault 4 a cassette, which appears to be, in fact, is a bloke ringing Bob Dylan up on his home number. <laughs> That's the bootleg. There's a guy called A.J. Weberman. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Weberman, who, who proudly described himself as a garbologist, yes. as if that was a good thing. He went through people's rubbish and analysed, uh, you know, getting some kind of psychological portrait on based on what he found. But anyway, he got Dylan's home number and he used to ring him up and record them. And so track one would be kind of beep, beep. Like, you know, Hello. Get, Hi, Bob, it's Webber. Oh, God, how'd you get my number? You know, it's always like, <laughs> and I just, I looked in there, I thought, Christ, you know, have I made a terrible decision here? <laughs> Who was driving I'm the gonna, car? Me. I was thinking, I'm <laughs> going to spend the rest of my life with this woman. So it's a bit of a jump <laughs> She's out completely of a crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, we, we've, got a, we've got a fantastic uh, bootleg of Dylan uh, at a sound check in Melbourne, which our kids genuinely used to think was the, the real song. Just him, the first minute and a half was him tuning the guitar. He to sing along with it thinking that was the tune I thought I'm a bad parent Dave. I've done a bad thing here. I've, uh, what have I done somebody once played me Bruce Springsteen's answer phone message 
which was brilliant. Was it he, but this is years ago. This is 20 years ago, whatever. And it was Bruce at the piano doing a little Richard impression well, with him singing There Ain't Nobody Home, you know. And he, he kind of based it on some obscure uh, little Richard oh, uh, so tune. Nice. And, of course, at the time, you know, this guy played you on a, on a tape. And you thought, oh, God, I wish I had that. And of course, <laughs> nowadays, if it was on an MP3, you'd have just had it in the flash. I love that. And you would have sent it to hundreds of you mates. Self-mythology. I remember there was a, at a tangent, Chris Morris, who made uh, Brass Eye and The Day to Day and all those wonderful programmes. Chris Morris used to change his uh, answer phone message up to four times a day. <laughs> and never answered his phone because he was so proud of his answer phone message. <laughs> and the point of fact, when he rang him, he didn't want him to answer the phone because he wanted to hear the new yes. answer phone message. He had nothing to say. And I used to think, oh, it's wonderful. You get that, the sheer creative energy of the guy. They would sit there putting these unbelievably complicated little sketches on his, just on his phone. Peter, for, Peter for, 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 you know, for, for 20 minutes, you know. When, when uh, I worked um, at a radio station called GLR, um, uh, some time ago with a guy called Peter Curran, and we went, once went and interviewed um, Al Pacino for, uh, for his programme, for Pete's programme. Around the time of when he was doing the searching for Richard, looking for, you know, the Richard, the yeah. third kind of deconstruction thing. And they got on really well. They got on so well that at the end of the interview, Peter Curran asked Al Pacino if he would record an answer phone message for him. That's good. And, and, and Pacino said, yeah, sure, OK. And so did this answer phone message. Hi, Pete's not in at the moment, but uh, this is Al but Pacino. But Al Pacino, leave a message it. after the tone. Yeah. Pete will get mad at him. Nobody message. believed it was him, though. No, but he had to take it off his uh, phone uh, after a couple of days because nobody was leaving a message. Everyone was ringing up, getting this answer phone message. And then going, ah! <laughs> strapping the phone down. <laughs> Has he still got the recording? I presume he we're going to get we're going to get Peter in actually for one of these podcasts. Get him in and bring The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Actually, talking about Bob Dylan and, and odd little things, uh, we, we I don't see why we should plug artists' sites here. As you know, they're not paying us. No, nope. but if but if get, they do pay us, <laughs> no, this is free. Because you're going to love this if you haven't found it already. If you, I think you've got to you've got to Google Dylan message or something, or go to the BobDylan.com website because they've done this brilliant oh, thing. I mean, you go through, you go through artist sites and they're 99 percent utter garbage. Flash graphics, stuff that gets in the way. Play music when you don't want them to play music. Don't tell you anything useful. Don't have any news. Constantly trying to get your email address so they can spam you and all this. But the Bob Dylan site has this it's brilliant incredible. thing at the moment where you're probably familiar with a legendary subterranean homesick blues video clip shot round the back of the Savoy Hotel in London in about 1965, Mark, 64 yeah, yeah, possibly, yeah. where he holds up the cards on which were written extracts from the lyrics of subterranean homesick blues. Well, some genius has had the idea of clearing the cards so that you can write a message on the cards. It's so clever because the first ten, you've got ten cards to to condense your message into. And the last three cards are obviously an advert for the greatest hits that's coming out in October or whatever, in colour. But so you can type them in and make sure they fit and everything. And then oh. when you send it to somebody, it says, um, Bob Dylan has a message for you from... It says, it says Bob Dylan and Mark Ellen have a message oh, that's for right, you. That's right, have a message for you. And, I mean, it, it, I don't want to make a sound pathetic or anything, but there are members of the Word magazine staff who send me this link to tell me quite prosaic things. You know, Bob Dylan comes on to <laughs> something and it says, have you got... The pictures for the piece that were meant to be like, you know, what I mean? just you know, would you like a cup of tea? But it's Dylan holding him up. This little, it's and I've got to say, the, the attention brilliant. to detail in it is lovely because when you type in your message, it doesn't come out 
like a normal normal kind of type yeah. font, it comes out it's in the font like it's been drawn on with, with a marker pen. Beautifully yeah. done, and you know whoever had that idea, you know, should be carried around shoulder high for a while. I think cause, uh, to make up for some of the some of the garbage that is on artists' websites. Although uh, Bob Dylan's website usually has something good on it. Actually. Yeah, it's, it's very very. Very well maintained. I tell you what, I wanted to. T- I just want to get this, get, get this off my chest. Well, we're we're coming into the awards season. It's the Mobo soon, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Dave, you're frowning. Your <laughs> eyebrows have shot together in a look of consternation and anguish and displeasure. Either you've got a sudden twinge, <laughs> yeah, or there's something that really displeases yeah, you. Changed colour, gone purple. <laughs> there's I'm, a vein standing out in his neck like a drainpipe, listeners. Get it off your chest. What are you going to say? This is what I want to do. I, I want to organise a, a petition, OK? Is it going to protest? We, is that what you want to No, no. I would like... I want to know why we can't enter the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and the music of Black Origin. Because it is. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Who, who normally it? wins? It's uh, Amy Winehouse. Well, it, it's normally... You're a black band. <laughs> It's it's normally yeah it's normally somebody white who's slightly more famous than the black equivalent, isn't it? Do they need to win to get the column inches? Yeah, and to get them on the telly and, yeah. and all that kind of thing. So you know, if Amy Winehouse does very well, that could be could be one of the reasons. Yeah, so, you know, call me cynical, but you know, the very idea that you can kind of identify a bunch of music and say that's music of black origin you know? well, it's and, a discussion. and be that limited with it it just seems completely wrong to it's me it's a discussion it's that we've had, I had with Mr Andrew Harrison um, recently and we, we tried to work out what music wasn't of black, or origin. black origin and Andrew <coughs> reckoned Kraftwerk Kraftwerk's not a black... Well, I'm, it's interesting because... Because the thinking, Special Awards people, the very few people who have absolutely no black origin at all. <laughs> yes, yes. can win every year. I think there's yeah. lots of music that isn't of... Well, it's all got some... See, but even if, you look at, even if you look at kind of country music, you can say that there's a... Yeah, but I wouldn't. Yeah, OK. I wouldn't, but I, I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking, obviously, all those great 60s groups, they were all music of black origin. Yeah. Because that's where the inspiration came from. It came from Motown and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and goes through to Led Zeppelin. I think it changes in the early 70s. Because I don't think Alice Cooper is of black origin. I don't think Black Sabbath are of black origin. You know what I mean? I think metal and those things were just... They had a very they different... purely white, Very different fingerprint to them. Whereas yeah, took, but they all came out of Led Zepp, which actually... No, but, yeah. if you, but if you took Howlin' Wolf... A, I know, you, I know you photocopy... If you, the more that you photocopy, the, the less distinct the original image becomes. But, you know... Yeah, but don't you think that there is there is a component of what you, for, for want of a better word, you might call funk in Led Zeppelin yeah. that is not there. But it is in ACDC, <laughs> it is in ACDC yeah. so it is in is it, some uh, metal. Okay, yeah. all right, I might, I might give you So the, it's the 12-bar boogie, surely. Uh, oh, okay. <coughs> yeah, it's an interesting point, but, you know, there's the, the, the certain sounds that, you know, and you, and you listen to kind of prog rock yeah. could not be... You know, yes, and so forth. Although, to be fair, there's a kind of funk bass on it, isn't there? I love this. Actually, so, so, if you break through with Led Zeppelin, what's going to happen is that you know Chris Squire and John Anderson will be appearing at the, the Mobo for the mighty fragile, <laughs> and there'll be roundabout will be playing in the background. I think there's always been a sonar <laughs> aspect to uh, to quite a bit of problem. Sonar, right? obviously. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We're well, back to the great man. But why is Kraftwerk not in any way a music of black origin? Well, Harrison. I mean, Har- well, you, we, you need dance to ask music. Harrison, but he he thinks it's uh, it's the um, I think to paraphrase him, he said he thinks that it's uh, the triumph of machine over mankind, uh, and it's all okay. very cold and European rather than. I think he's got a point. 
He might have a point. He it's might just have a pentatonic point. noodling, isn't it, done on computers? <laughs> the Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. I'm going to change the subject and tell you about a telephone call I just had, actually. Um, well, to, uh, which I thought was a rather interesting point. I rang a, um, a wonderful PR called Terry Hall, who runs a company called Hall or Nothing. And uh, she made this fantastic point. We were talking about smoking. She was ringing me from a, outside her building because obviously she had a gasper on the go. And I was going on about how extraordinary it is that the people who used to be inside pubs are now outside pubs. And the people who never went into pubs can now go into pubs because the reason they didn't go in is because the people who used to smoke in there. And she said, oh, that's nothing. She said, smoking has, it's the support band's enemy. Yeah. So, so if you go to the, and she mentioned this to Steve Lamack, of course, anyone listening, I'm sure, will know Steve Lamack, terrific fellow. He's been a, a, on the enemy and radio broadcast and flying the flag for new music valiantly on Radio 1 and 6 Music. And uh, Steve's probably getting ready to go out now, actually. He's probably having a packet of crisps, isn't he, David? A pint of cider, <laughs> pulling on a <laughs> dry roast peanuts, And some dry roast peanuts. He's, he's hoping there are loads of support acts. And he's hoping, yeah, going. most people arrive just in time. But Steve's there early, hoping there'll be three or four support acts. But apparently, according to Steve, if you go and see support acts now, you've literally got it in place yourself. Uh, because people, because everybody's in smoke, and people are, are only going into the venue at the absolute last moment when they can't smoke anymore, and that's when the headliners come on and say, thanks for coming out, looking around a completely empty hall as well, and go, thanks for coming out, the forum, and then there's a stampede. So, isn't that interesting? I think it's Support very, acts I think are it's genuinely, I'm not making this up, are genuinely having trouble connecting with people, because there's no one there. They're outside of a gasper. Don't you think there's another issue here, though, that the only way to, to, uh, to save the support group to get round the smoking problem. And they've got to deal with the technology here. Is Support groups have got to play for not such a long time. If, if you said to me, we're on for ten minutes, I'm going to watch you. It's not a problem. Whereas a support group plays pretty much as long as a headliner. And you don't know any of the tunes, do you? And you've come straight from work or whatever... And you'd rather you'd rather have a drink and speak to somebody instead, wouldn't you? It goes back Whereas to something that bands I always play too long. Well, it's it's, it's, it's good, but I'm sure we've talked about this before. The old the old package tour, precisely. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was just about to say it's something that I wish I'd, I'd seen. And, and funnily enough, it still happens in the states, doesn't it? Because quite yeah, often it does, yeah. you get that thing where you get new. I can remember when Eminem first came to play in this country. He played at a club called the Subterranea off Portobello Road, and kids in there had paid like twenty five quid. They paid a lot of a ridiculous amount of money to see this bright new hope of, of rap music and he came on and he did three songs yeah. and he was roundly booed he was terribly booed. doing three songs yeah because that was the amount of songs that he could do live and that that served him very well in America where everyone goes on and does three songs the rock festival experience I go to billions of rock festivals I absolutely love them and one of the ways I organise it is, is, is quite scientific which I know that if I wander past that stage at that time I will see three songs by Amy Winehouse and hopefully it'll be one that I want to hear, but I'm desperately keen to see where everyone has, who I like very much. But, but en route, I would have seen probably two other people play two songs. I'm going to finish up seeing six songs for somebody I, I like enormously, acoustic tent or whatever. And that's, all you're doing is editing the whole experience in exactly yeah. the same way as if a package tour was brought to you. And isn't this related to the fact that we've been talking about over the last few days that um, people are increasingly doing these shows where they say, I will play this album. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, Lucinda yeah, Williams yeah, yeah. is about to do She's these shows all her in Los Angeles on consecutive nights. Consecutive nights. What would that album. be? Eight consecutive nights. Something like that. Yeah. And is it the Human League are doing? The Human uh, League are about to play Dare. Yeah. Well, just just to tour the album Dare. And, and I'll, uh, I'll, you know. going back to Echo and the Bunnymen, they're supposed to be doing Ocean Rain 
um, I think at the round they'll do really well with a you know with an orchestra and stuff, they'll do yeah. really well except that it won't appeal to the conversation my kids have. They, of course, they, they don't see the sense in this because they've never listened to albums in their entirety anyway so they don't hold together as a package today. but it is interesting the appeal that this has to people isn't it if you say to people you're, this is what you're going to get yeah you know, it's like going to the theatre you don't go to the theatre and say, oh, there's a Shakespeare play on. They say, no, it's measure for measure. You know, yeah. and, and you roughly yeah. know. Well, we've got some is. random scenes from different <laughs> Shakespeare's <laughs> yes, Tomorrow <laughs> and tomorrow and tomorrow. Oh, God, I've had, I loathe this track. We're shocked. Right. <laughs> yeah, stop, right. stop in the middle All of it. All I yesterday, it's the same track. It's still going on. Right. Stop in the middle of it and go, and now we do three from our new play. That's right. <laughs> Audience all go to the bar. Exactly. Yeah, they want something they know, don't they? It was Pet Sounds, wasn't it? It was the... Uh, Brian Wilson did it twice. Yeah, but he? that was the one that kicked the whole thing yeah. off. Uh, I suppose so. Didn't, love, didn't Arthur Lee do um, what's it? Oh, I um, saw it. What was Forever it? Changes. Forever Changes. It's really good too. But at the end of it, though, he came on and played three songs he'd just written. Ooh. One of which, and oh, I'm not making this up. God bless the old boy because he's now the late Arthur Lee. It involved a man wearing a kilt playing a bagpipes. Yeah, he said uh, this is a new song, and already there was seats rustling. <laughs> <laughs> seats going yeah, up. Seats going up. Is that the time? <laughs> Darling, the babysitter will be back. Well, they won't, but let's get to the bar. And our poor old Arthur, and he, went, yeah, he came back on to play. He announced, actually, he did a terrible thing, actually. He announced he was going to, they were going to take a break and then come back and play. Oh, three years old. By which time, it was basically me and my mate Chris, and virtually nobody else. Just a lot of old bits of paper <laughs> and all that. And somebody's sweeping. <laughs> right, so, so can you keep the noise down? Yeah, the first person on stage was a, was a guy in a kilt playing a bagpipe. So nothing against kilt and bagpipe. I didn't want to hear that, honestly, uh, in relation to the mighty Arthur. Actually, they ought to, it's interesting this, because. You probably find that the best place to put a new tune is right at the beginning of oh, the yeah, second. Yeah. Well, right, first number. No, second one in. But because people are thinking they're just getting used to the sound anyway. They're not listening, they're just looking and going, Oh look, the bass player's got an interesting jacket or whatever. And well, then they, it, and then they think they think it's one they've never heard before or something. And then you launch it to something familiar afterwards, they've forgotten about it. I don't think it's a very scientific thing. David Gilmore is on the cover of the next issue of Word, which is out in about whatever it is, about a week's time. It talks about this very thing. And he said he used to go out on his tour and start with stuff from his album, he said, he got a little bit restless. So he now plays two classic old Pink Floyd songs just to make that fundamental connection with people. Right, he really? plays Breathe, I think, and possibly it might be Money, I can't remember. Just just to get their attention, to make them feel they've already had some of them on his worth. Uh, a couple of challenging, difficult things to come, and then we'll end with a bit more of that. It'll all be fine. But he said he's had to kind of bookend the whole experience just to lock people in. Because otherwise, people get very. I think you know, it costs a lot of money, you've travelled a long way. I've seen Bruce Springsteen show amazing nerve. By going out on more than one occasion, starting with a classic, not one of his own. I've seen him go out and start with uh, "Summertime Blues," or start with ha- uh, "What is it?" "Who'll Stop the Rain" by Creedence Clearwater. Oh Stop right, yeah, yeah. Which is, takes immense nerve. Because whatever yeah. I'm going to do afterwards of my own, I believe is pretty much. Yes, yeah, follow that. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> you're, you're, you're really, you're really oh, saying the Bruce. Yeah, but he, yeah. you know, he did it. He did it rather yeah. well. Anyway, um, it's we've reached that point in the podcast where it is traditional. Uh, to close out this uh, audio experience at wordmagazine.co.uk with a hoary old rock anecdote. And unless one of you guys... <laughs> unless one of you guys has come up with We're one, looking at you. We're looking at you, though. I'm sure we have many more. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but we've got some little classics in the back okay. pocket. This is... This, we're, we're Ladies and gentlemen, David Hepworth. We're talk, we're, for us. We've been talking about records a bit here, haven't we? And, uh, you know, the, the kind of illicit way of delivering records and... And let's let's talk briefly about the uh, the legitimate way of publishing records. Now, I do think it's interesting. People do tend to think that record companies are sinister, 
highly organised, hugely professional corporations. Cold, yeah. Cold, clinical, methodical, squash the life out of every experience organisations, don't they? Yeah. Well, we know different, don't we, Mark? We do. And we're going to prove it. We know know that if you had a brewery over here and a load of thirsty people over here, the the resultant piss-up wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be taken for granted. Would it? <laughs> that it, it wouldn't necessarily occur. And well, I'm going to give you couldn't run a bar. <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah. I can give you two examples, which relate to two quite well-known records. And one is the Birds towards the end of their career in the I suppose late sixties, early seventies, made a double album. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah. They only made one double album. And they uh, delivered the tapes to the record company in the usual tape boxes here. And it had the track listing. Chestnut Mayor was on this record. Just a Season was on this record. I can't remember what else. Had a load of live stuff on there. Yeah. And at the time, did they have a name for this record? No, they didn't have a name for this record. But they were going to supply one quite soon. They were thinking, they promised. They were thinking about one. So Terry Melcher, the producer, wrote at the top of the box, untitled. Tracklist and untitled. The next he knew... <laughs> he went down to uh, He went down to his local drip. tower records. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and there, it's amazing how little control people had over things sure. in those days. You know, the producer. Next thing he saw was, there's the Birds double album, it's come in. And it's got this fantastic psychedelic picture of them on the front. And there it says, The Birds, untitled. In inverted commas, as he'd put it. It actually was issued with the name Untitled and is still out to this day. What you want, it's like a scene from the scene from Spinal Tap. Isn't it? Really, it's, you want to know at which point people tried to convince themselves that it was a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> having, having tried to place the blame elsewhere, they would have to say, well, actually, hey, it's kind of like enigmatic or like really weird or it's never been done before. You'd have to try and you think, well, look, it's done now. We've got to make the best of it. And anyway, there's another case that's similar that applied uh, to, to the Electric Light Orchestra. And I'm not sure, I think it's their second album. Uh, which in the UK came out as ELO2. And they'd sent the parts, as they call them, you know, the tape or so forth, yeah, yeah. over to America to produce it. Um, and the American record company rang the office of the management in the UK and said, what's the title? And they couldn't get through to anybody. And so they left this job to a secretary to ring up and find out what the title was. This secretary tried and tried and tried late in the day in New York, getting nowhere. They had to press the button on the on the production process the following day, and so she just wrote on a pad for her boss, uh, I, I've tried ELO, no answer. Okay? The record came out in the cool. United States as ELO's no answer. Now, <laughs> <laughs> whether that's been changed yeah. since, I do not know, but that's how it got you wouldn't well, think I it was right, you know. I couldn't get all those friggin' clowns <laughs> yeah, yeah. for love nor money, or whatever. Yeah. So there you go. Super. So, well, thanks very much for listening uh, to this Word podcast. If you want to find out anything more about the magazine, wordmagazine.co.uk. Uh, and you know, if you if you're getting this from iTunes. 
do leave us some feedback because we do appreciate it. And we? mention also, I'm going to mention that our new issue's out on October the 11th. Do David Gilmore on the cover. Do that. I mean, September the 11th, don't I? Where are we? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, in about a Brewery. week. Brewery. Brewery. Thirsty people. <laughs> <laughs> you know what to do. Yeah. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.